Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, January the 10th, in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and on Mondays, we like to look at a lesson for the next Sunday, which is the second Sunday after the Epiphany. Uh, the lessons are from Isaiah 62, 1 Corinthians 12, and John chapter 2. Uh, the one we're going to be examining today is John chapter 2. And I want to read the first verse. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, I'll bet you a lot of people just kind of read through that and say, well, that's interesting. But this is the first time in the gospel, according to St. John, that Mary is understood as the mother of God. This is not true in Matthew or Luke. They both talk about the beginnings of the birth of Jesus. But in Mark and John, uh, they are really talking about John the baptizer to begin with. And it's not till chapter two of John that Mary, as the mother of Jesus, is even spoken of. Now, why do you think that is? We need to remember that the Pharisees did not believe that Jesus was born. Well, they believed he was born of the Mary, but she wasn't a virgin. It was a marriage out of wedlock. And it was probably Joseph that was the man responsible for her becoming pregnant. And so among the Pharisees, they figured that being born out of wedlock, that was not something that the Son of God would do. And therefore, they did not believe in Jesus. But it's very clear that even in John, Mary is considered the mother of Jesus. And we know from Matthew and Luke that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Now, this is about the wedding at Cana. And I just find it interesting that in the very first verse about this wedding, the mother of Jesus is mentioned. It's not till verse 2 that we hear that Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now, Mary, of course, knew about the disciples, and so did a lot of people at that time. And so when you invited Jesus, the son of Mary, you were also going to invite his best friends. But something happened at the wedding. When the wine ran out. Now, what's so important about that? Wine is a symbol in the Old Testament of physical and spiritual joy, future hope, and abundance. Therefore, wine of a poor quality or if at a wedding you ran out of wine, 
that would be a social error. And therefore, Mary said to Jesus, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, what's he talking about? His hour had already occurred in the sense of him being baptized by John the baptizer. And so he had become sin for the entire world. That's the important point of the baptism of Jesus, that he was the sinner of the entire world, the biggest sinner in the world. And that's why when he died on the cross, the sins of everyone, those sins were forgiven. But when Jesus says, my hour has not yet come, he knew that even though he would do miracles and would become obvious to the leading rulers of Judaism that he was saying something about himself with which they disagreed, it wouldn't be long before they would attempt to put him to death. In fact, if you remember, at the death of Lazarus, Jesus hears about it, but then he stays two days longer where he is at because Lazarus is just sick. And Jesus finally says, well, we'll go and wake him up. He's asleep. And the disciples say, no, those people are trying to kill you who are there, the religious leaders of Judaism. And finally, Thomas says, well, we'll go with you and we will die with you. And so he goes to heal Lazarus. Now, the reason he waited two days, plus it took two days to get there, when they arrived, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. And in Judaism, it was thought that you had to be dead for three days before the spirit left you. And so he was certainly dead. In fact, when Jesus said, let's go and open up the tomb, what was it? One of the sisters told them, Mary and Martha, that no, he smells because he had been dead for four days. And Jesus, Lazarus, come out of the tomb and he walked out of the tomb. So that was another great miracle. And many people believed that he was whom he said he was. But he was saying to his mother, my hour has not yet come. And so his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now the servants, were not the disciples. Uh, you won't believe what I was taught at the seminary. This was a seminary where the vast majority of professors there did not believe the Bible. And so they would give all kinds of situations. And one of the things that they said about the wedding at Cana is that the disciples of Jesus were the ones who were told to go fill up these wonderful stone water jars 
holding 20 to 30 gallons of water, that they filled them up with wine. And when they brought them back, it looked like it was a miracle because they had been told to fill it with water. But they had instead filled it with wine. So there was no miracle there at all. But it's very clear from the scripture that there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification. So they each held 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said, not to the disciples, but to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim, according to verse 7 in John chapter 2. And he said to them, now, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they drew out some of the liquid from these jars. But when the master of the feast, now who's the master of the feast? Well, in our wedding day, it could be uh, the best man. Or there are groups that will help kind of organize your wedding. They'll find a place where you can have the reception. They'll order the food. They'll have everything ready for the wedding. But whatever the master was, he was in charge of the food and the drink. And yet they were running out of wine. So they took some of the liquid from those jars. And when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from. So he hadn't heard Jesus talk about filling these stone water jars with water. But then John in kind of parenthesis says, though the servants who had drawn the water knew so the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And what did he say to him? You know, normally at a wedding, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. So remember, he didn't realize that Jesus had done the miracle but the servants had. That's very important to understand. The servants were of the lowest status, and they were the ones that witnessed the miracle. And so that's really wonderful again, how the signs of Jesus are shown to those who are lowest in the status of society being a servant. Then John concludes this section. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. What does that mean? The word manifest means reveal. It's really what the season of Epiphany is all about. I really like preaching during this season because there's 
event after event where Jesus truly shows who he is. Who can change water into wine but God alone? Even if someone was able to do that, then that would be the work of God. And it reminds us of the Lord's Supper. For when you receive the wine in the Lord's Supper, you are also receiving in with and under the wine the true blood of Jesus Christ, and in with and under the bread, the true body of Jesus Christ. But it isn't the pastor who does that. It's God. The pastor uses the words, take, eat, this is my body, take, drink, this is my blood. And therefore, it's very important that the congregation realize this is not the work of the pastor any more than is the absolution the work of the pastor. Now, he may say the words, but remember how he says it? Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of God, and by his power, I forgive you all of your sins. Very important to understand that the pastor is making it clear that he's not forgiving sins in and of himself but he's doing it by the authority of Jesus Christ who told him to do that. It's kind of like somebody wins the lottery. They get a knock at their door and there's a man, he may not even be in a suit, may just have shirt and pants on. And he says, here, we have for you a check of $2 million, you won the lottery. Now, that's not that man's $2 million. No, it's from the commission of the lottery. And so, in a similar way, it's not the pastor who has any power to forgive sins, but he does it under the authority of Jesus Christ. And that's a wonderful gift that we receive. Upon this, your confession. Now, what does that mean? It means, have you properly confessed before Almighty God that you are a poor, miserable sinner, that you have sinned in thought, word, and deed, that you deserve nothing but temporal and eternal punishment? That's really hard to imagine, but Christians receive the faith from the Holy Spirit to recognize that the reason that Jesus became incarnate was in order to die for our sins. Because as God, he could not die, but as a human being, he did die on behalf of our sins. He experienced suffering, and he experienced the limitations of humanity, getting hungry, getting thirsty, 
getting sleepy. So Jesus truly became a human being for the purpose of taking upon himself your sins. But the first miracle he did was at Cana in Galilee, and that was the changing of lots of gallons of water, 20 to 30 of them, so that could be up to 120 gallons of water were changed into wine. Now, verse 11 says, this was the first of his signs. And the word sign also can be translated as miracle. Why is that important to know? Because after the New Testament was written, there were some other books. One of them I'm familiar with, as you'll figure out, is the Gospel of Thomas. We do not consider those as biblical. Martin Luther showed that they had historical and theological errors in them. But in some of those other books that are not part of the Bible, Jesus does miracles when he's a child. I think one of them was he was on a beach and he saw a bird that was injured. And so he picked it up, said some words, healed it, and it flew away. So this also would be another point that John is making, that there were no miracles done before Jesus became the one who was baptized by John the baptizer. Remember what happened? The Holy Spirit appeared in the form of a dove and lighted within Jesus so that through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was growing in wisdom and maturity. And he was, even at a point when he was 12 years old, that he could even ask questions that startled the teachers in the temple. But filled with the Holy Spirit, reading the Old Testament, he began to understand the answers to those questions. So it's interesting that when John begins this, the first person he speaks of is the mother of Jesus. And yet when Jesus addresses her, he says, woman, what does this have to do with me that they have no wine? Referring to Mary as woman. So Jesus is making a connection between his divinity and his humanity. In his divinity, he could easily create wine from water. But in his humanity, boy, his hour has not yet come to be taken into captivity. There were a number of times he had to escape from people. Remember when he was in the town of Nazareth? They were trying to grab him and throw him over the cliff. And the Bible says that he just walked between them and he left them. 
So there's no doubt that the Pharisees and scribes who hated Jesus really were at a problem. And do you recall what the final miracle was that Jesus did that was the last straw for them? It was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Because Jesus had talked about, because Mary and Martha knew it, the resurrection from the dead on the last day. And here he raises Lazarus before the last day. And that's not the only resurrection Jesus had done. So what we find here is Jesus doing what he said he was, namely God himself. Although it took all the way to Easter evening, well, the second Sunday of Easter, when Thomas, the disciple, referred to him as divine, my Lord and my God. Until then, the disciples were really clueless as to whom he was. Recalling that boat that was sinking underwater, they woke Jesus up. Don't you care that we're going to drown? Where is your faith? And Jesus stands up and says, Be still, and wind and wave obey him. And then the disciples ask among themselves, Who is this man that even wind and wave obey him? Now you can't find anywhere in the Old Testament where wind and wave obey anyone but God himself. Even when Moses has the people cross the Red Sea, it is God who gives them the instructions as to how to do that. It is God who raises two walls of water through which the Israelites can go. It is God who lowers the two walls of water upon the Egyptians when they start chasing the Israelites, who are really afraid, boy, we should have stayed in Egypt, then we wouldn't be killed. And it shows again the lack of faith. It was these same Israelites two years later that did not want to go into the land of Cana because they had had their spies go in and only two of them said that we're going to be able to conquer the land with God's help. The other spy says, no, these people are like giants. And the people of Israel denied God's promise that he would take care of them when they entered the land of Canaan. So he sent them back into the wilderness for 38 more years. Why? Because all those who denied his promises died in the wilderness. And the ones that entered the land of Canaan were the children of those people. And so God doesn't fool around with sin. No doubt about it. And yet when they entered the land of Canaan, you know what they did to the city of Jericho. 
All they did was march around it for a few days, and then the walls came tumbling down. Now, you think the people did that? No. God did that. And so, if we're learning anything from the Epiphany, is that it is God behind every one of these signs that Jesus Christ does. And as John 2 says, the first sign is changing water into wine. And not just any wine, but the very best of wine. That's what he's done to you. He's changed you from a sinner into a saint. How? By declaring you righteous through faith in Jesus Christ because of what he has done for you. You have done nothing to save yourself. Even the faith you are given is given to you by the Holy Spirit. And so God gets all the credit for your salvation. We would hope that those who are teaching this lesson of the wedding in Cana might be able to share some of the insights that we found here because they're all important. Nothing the Holy Spirit inspires the writers to write is unimportant. And that's why we look for what lies behind these wonderful statements. The first miracle of Jesus, changing water into wine. On our next Law and Gospel with Pastor Mark Smith, we'll take a look at the hymn, The Only Son from Heaven. Obviously, Jesus is the only Son from Heaven, the Son of God. Join with us, and we look forward to hearing from you. You can email me. I'm Tom Baker. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.